soul in sad exile was out on life's sea so burdened with sin and distress till I heard a sweet voice saying make me your choice and I entered the heaven of rest I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep. In Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Myself to his tender embrace in faith, taking hold of the word. My fetters fell off, and I anchored my soul. The haven of rest is my Lord. I sail the white seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep. In Jesus I'm safe evermore. Oh, come to the Savior. He patiently waits. By his power divine, come anchor your soul in the haven of rest and say, My beloved is mine. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll say, sees no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep. In Jesus I'm safe evermore. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep. In Jesus I'm safe evermore. Well, that's a great song, isn't it? <clears throat> a haven of rest. I took a quick drink just to help my throat, and I ended up swallowing it wrong. 
now my eyes are watering and I don't even know where I'm at. <clears throat> All right. Let's go ahead and uh, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Revelation right now. Just start over there. We're gonna, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about a couple of things tonight. Just about, just two thoughts, basically. Uh, they might fit together, they may not. I'll see how that goes. But just two simple thoughts tonight, really, um, that uh, you know, we'll see where it falls and where it goes. But uh, Genesis... I'm going to start there. You just stay in Revelation. We're going to start in Revelation 1.8, okay? Then we'll read another verse in Revelation as well. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse 8. But the Bible says in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now that, of course, you know that. I know that. We've read that probably a number of times. We've heard it preached and taught and uh, just uh, Sunday school lessons and messages and so forth, so on. In the beginning, God. So we know that everything begins with God. We understand that. That's obvious. And uh, just from that verse alone, in the beginning, God. So God begins everything. Therefore, <clears throat> let's face it, everything begins with God. But also, Revelation 1 verse 8 says, <clears throat> excuse me, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. And so we see here that he says, not only am I uh, the beginning, he says, but I'm the ending. And then in Revelation twenty-two thirteen. He makes the same statement basically again. He goes on in chapter 22, verse 13, to kind of restate again, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So what we learn then is that everything begins and ends with God. That's as simple as it is. Everything begins and ends with God. <clears throat> God being the beginning, the ending, and everything in between then. And uh, so we understand then, <clears throat> if that's the case, God being the beginning, the end, and everything in between, that simply means this then, no man is complete without God. No woman is complete without God. No creation is complete without God. We are a creation of God. We are not complete without God. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many times or many things we dabble in, the reality is we are never complete without God. <clears throat> now... <clears throat> Within the heart of a man, within the heart of a woman, is a void. There's a vacuum that exists. That's a reality. And that void must be filled with something. The world will use any man-made device or pleasure to accomplish that goal. While the believer, I trust and hope, recognizes the need for Christ to fill that void. In Ephesians chapter 1, turn there if you would, Ephesians 1 verse 22 through 23. <clears throat> I want you to note what the Bible says there. Now again, I, I, I said while the believer recognizes the need for Christ to fill that void. Maybe that's assuming way too much. Because maybe not all believers realize nor recognize that he alone can fill that void truly in our life. Even though He is in our heart does not mean that He's filling the void. Even though He indwells us, that does not ensure, nor does it guarantee that He is the one filling the void. <clears throat> that is a misnomer. And it is a misunderstanding. Just because He lives in you does not mean that He is filling you. And then meeting that need and filling that void. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. <clears throat> Notice it says, And hath put all things under his feet, 
and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church. We can never, and nor will we ever probably really understand how valuable and important the church is, this side of heaven. When youth consider Christ, the Bible says He is the head of the church. That means the church is His body. That means that every aspect of Christ is seen and recognized in and through the body. That means then, therefore, that it is impossible for you to be complete in Christ without being part of the local church. It, it is, it, it's ludicrous to believe somehow that Christ can fill you and fill that void in your life, and yet you can reject and discard the body of Christ. You can't separate the church, this, into this, this called out assembly from the body of Christ. You can't say, well, I believe Christ is, you know, visible, you know, he's invisible God and <clears throat> he's in me and he functions and operates in all of us who name the name of Christ. He does, but we do not function nor do we operate in an invisible church today. God's body is visible through the church. Therefore, if you truly want to have that void filled in your life, you can't do that independent of the local church. Now, if you're stranded on a desert island somewhere, there may be some kind of reprieve. But let me tell you something. While you have access to the body, then you cannot neglect the body because Christ died for that body and Christ is the body in a sense. We are His body. <clears throat> Say, I'm all about Christ. Well, then you ought to be all about church. Not because, it's need, not because your body needs to fit a seat. Not because you just need to tithe and offer up praises to God through song. No, that's not what this is about. Not because a pastor wants to build a ministry or because a people are anxious to reach the world. I'm telling you, you need to be part of the church because you can't be complete without the church. <clears throat> Notice he goes on to say this. He's head over all things to the church, which is his body. Notice the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The fullness of Him that filleth all in all. The fullness of Him. There is no fullness without Him. He fills all in all. The fullness of Him filleth all in all. That's what it's saying. So if you are trying to fill the void in your life with something other than Jesus Christ Himself, then you are not accomplishing your goal. It's not fulfilling as you would like it to be. It doesn't meet the need as a believer in your life as it ought to meet. You'll never feel complete like you should feel complete. There'll always be gaps and there'll always be distance between what you think you ought to be and, and, and where you're really at. <clears throat> he, the Bible says, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. So, <clears throat> He fills all. It's Him that completes man then. It is Him that completes the woman. It's Him that takes the human person and makes them whole, makes them complete. Without Jesus Christ, we are not functioning or we are not dealing and living with or working on all cylinders. But they're just not all firing. <clears throat> now, when we got saved and we trusted Christ as our Savior, we were thrilled by the joy and the peace that we felt within. A thrill to death. After, after being saved for a time, the reality of day-to-day -day Christianity probably began to settle in. <clears throat> I mean, that void that existed as a creation of God was filled with Christ. But if we're not careful, 
Christ fails to continually be cultivated in our hearts. And if we're not careful, that neglect makes us prone to returning back to our old ways. It causes us to respond in the flesh. And when this is the case, like the world, we will seek to fill that void once again, that emptiness that exists with worldly amusements and man-made means. It is not uncommon for a believer to search out the world in hopes of filling the void in their life. That is not uncommon at all. It's probably more common than not. We learn a very valuable lesson. Well, let me just uh, read this verse in 2 Peter real quick. Here's, let me just, here's how it, it reads. But it, it is, but it is happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is returned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. That is a picture of most of Christianity. Cleansed from sin, indwelt by Christ, but returning back to the flesh, living the worldly life, seeking to fill the void that was filled by Christ. And early on in our Christianity, often we felt that tremendous weight lifted. We knew that we were finally a man or a woman of purpose, that God was real and real in our lives. And we knew what life was about for a short time until we allowed the world to creep back in. And when we did that, we returned back to our vomit. We learn a valuable truth in Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. Turn there if you would. So the Lord is God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning and He is the ending. And he's everything in between. And we have to be very careful that we do not continue to search the world in hopes of filling the void. Christ only can fill that void in our life. Notice what it says in Joshua 24. Beginning in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. By the way, it's important to realize that Israelites, those people that went into Egypt, notice it says that their fathers served basically the gods, other gods than God himself. Even in Egypt, they served other gods. Must be understood. Because what makes, it, it almost seems incomprehensible to us that the moment they escape the hand of Pharaoh and the clutches of bondage, they immediately go to what? Idolatry. And we say, that doesn't seem right. That's just unbelievable. How can that possibly be? These people who God delivered, these people who God supernaturally, miraculously protected and cared for and 
finally led out of Egypt, they go to worshiping an idol? How'd that ever happen? Because they'd already been doing it. They just went back to what they were comfortable with. They went back to what was, was normal in their life. They went back to what they had done so many other times before. <clears throat> he goes on to say to them now, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Again, they said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. So what we find from the passage and throughout the Bible is that there's a natural course or progression. Forsake God and embrace idols. That, that's, that's how it works. When we forsake God, we embrace idols. On the other hand, if you forsake idols, you're going to embrace God. <clears throat> but you can't have both at the same time. So how do we keep Christ first? And how do we keep the world out of our lives? Well, again, Joshua stood before the people and he made a statement. He said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. The answer is simple. It's a choice. It's a decision we make. Like the Israelites, we need to choose who we will serve. Now... Will you serve the gods of your fathers? You know, those gods that man erects in order to fill the God vacuum that exists in your life and in mine. And they are, they're plentiful. They're everywhere, aren't they? Or will you choose Christ Himself, who is the only true living God? Now, while waiting for His companions, Paul had was extremely sad. He was extremely grieved by the spiritual ignorance of the Athenian people. He was uh, grieved by the multiplicity of their gods. And none of those gods could save them. None of those gods could supply them. And yet they still believed in them. I want you to see what he says in Acts 17, verse 22 through 25, concerning the only true and living God, while there he stood in the midst of Mars Hill. Look at Acts chapter 17, <clears throat> beginning in verse 22. He says there, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, <clears throat> You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. They had all these gods. And yet he says to them, You have this one inscription to the unknown God. They had placed it there because they did not want to take a chance on offending a God that they did not know yet. So to the unknown God, we offer praise. To the unknown God, we worship. To the unknown God, we bow. 
Because just in the event that we don't know your name, God, we're going to go ahead and show you, you know, worship. Paul says, well, guess what? You, you ignorantly worship him, the unknown God, I declare unto you. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you who the God you do not know. I'm going to tell you his identity. I'm going to share with you who he is. He goes on to say, verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Paul begins to tell them about the God, God the Creator. He tells them about the God who is a real God, not some molten steel not some carved wood, not some rock that had been carved into an image. No, this was the true God, the only living God. And there is only one true and living God. This idea that, that all gods are the same, that they're just named different, that they all basically are, are identical with the exception of you call him this or we call him that, and they're all identical. They're not identical because as you begin to review the Bible, scan through the Word of God, you realize that God defines who He is. We do not have the right to define God. We do not have the right to determine who and what God is. He tells us who He is. He tells us what He's about. He tells us what He loves and likes and dislikes and hates. We know what God is based on the Word of God. But for humanity to determine who God is or how He looks and appears, how He responds, we have no right to do so. He tells us how that works. That's the danger in the world we live. We create our own gods. And even as Christians, those that claim to be born again, we have this, ident this idea that we somehow can create God in our own minds. Sure, I know God doesn't approve necessarily, but He makes exceptions with this in my case because He knows because this has happened in my life or because this isn't the way, you know, it, I had a rough time growing up, or I had this, so he excuses that in my life. Well, where does that, how does that define God? Let's see, is that what he does for you according to the word of God, or is that just the God you created in your mind? Because that's exactly what we do today. We create a God that, that receives us as we are, instead of as he wants us to be. And that's why we can continue to sin and be wretched in our souls and in our hearts, and still feel as though we're right with God. Because we've created an image of God in our own mind. We've determined who God is. And we've determined what He appreciates and likes, and what He accepts, when in reality, the Word of God alone defines Him. Because God says, this is who I am. And He tells us that from His Word. It'd be like my wife saying, well, I know what Mark likes the best. I mean, he loves, he loves spaghetti and meatballs the best. And I say, honey, but I would rather have... Well, you're getting there. All of you are pretty close. I, I really hesitate to say because there's a couple of them I really, really like. Now, I'll say this. I really do enjoy a healthy steak. I don't like little steaks. I like big, and I like them thick, you know? But I don't like them when they're hard or gristly. I like them when they just melt in your mouth. Yeah. Man, you give me a steak like that that's got, I mean, just open, you know, on one of those pits, you know, fire pits or something, gets that little 
burnt glaze to it type thing. Man, I'll tell you, I like that. And, and, and I could go for that. Now, that's really good. But I'll tell you what, for me, I could also go for just a really, really good pizza. Man, I had a really good pizza not long ago. Man, I'm telling you, that was good. Now, I mean, I'll eat any pizza because I just love pizza. But, but I mean, I had a really good pizza not long ago. Somebody treated Sherry and I to a pizza, and it was good. Now, listen, I, I'd say, honey, now, wait a second. Spaghetti and meatballs, you're right. I really enjoy spaghetti and meatballs, but that big steak, I tell you, if it's between a meatballs, you know, spaghetti and meatballs or my big thick steak, that's, I'm going with that meat and potatoes. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a little bit partial to that. And she'd say, no, you're not. Spaghetti and meatballs is what you like the best. I'd say, but read my lips. Now listen, you know what? That's what God's saying to us today. We're telling God what He approves of and what He likes and what's right with it. Oh God, He understands me and He understands this and He understands that. And I know what it says there and I know what He says there, but I know what He means though. He says, read my lips. This is what I... Do you understand where I'm going? And, and, and honestly, that becomes an issue. And Paul the Apostle says, now listen, you guys believe you are spiritual. And they were spiritual people. Not the right kind of spirit, but they were spiritual people in Athens. The problem was they had, did not even know who God was. They didn't even know who the real God was. Joshua says, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Let us not get caught up in the, in the gods of this world. It is very tempting to get caught up in that. Because they will, temporarily at least, to some degree fill that void in our life. But no one and nothing fills that void like Jesus. Now again, it's a choice. So if we're going to choose the Lord, we're going to choose this thing. Now, I do want to preface this by saying this. Before I go through anything, it, allowing Christ to fill the void in our life is that simple. It is Christ that must fill it. Do not mistake church attendance for Christ. And don't mistake even reading your Bible for Christ. Don't, don't mistake serving the Lord for Christ. See, you can do all of those things and have no real relationship with Christ. You say, that's impossible. How could I teach a Sunday school class and have no relationship? Well, you can give the facts and you can learn the lesson and you can present the information. But the reality is, is that there must be a relationship with you and Him. When you pray, is it about knowing God or is it always just about getting what you want? When's the last time you prayed and just said, I just want to spend some time with you? Isn't that something? You know how difficult it is. And my wife brought up a good question today in our singles class. What does it say about us as believers when we find it hard or difficult to pray? Think about what that says, really. What that says is that, one... I don't really have that many needs. Pretty self-sufficient. But two, here's what it says. It says I'm really not that interested in talking to him. I really don't. It's not like I have to talk to him. I'm okay without talking to him. 
I don't need that relationship. That's not that valuable. It's not that important to me. What, what would your relationship with your wife or husband be without communication? I mean, if you had a good friend, I mean, wouldn't you have to talk to him in order to kind of continue that relationship and for it to continue to go forward? I mean, why is it that we believe we have this relationship with God, that this void that we have in our heart is being filled by Him, but we don't even have a relationship with Him? How is that possible? How is it that we can spend just mere minutes a day going through the motions and doing what we believe is our duty, and then we yet will say, no, I'm right with the Lord, and me and God are on, you know, we're, you know, we're like that. How is that possible? You know, I have a hard time praying. What? You have a hard time praying, then does that mean that you have a hard time having fellowship with God? Oh, is it hard for you to fellowship with your wife? Because if it is, that means you got some marital issues and you better work on it because your relationship's in real desperate need if you can't get along and enjoy one another's company. If you don't long to be with your wife just to talk and just to fellowship, not to get something out of it, there's a problem with your relationship. And it's the same with us and God. There is a void in our heart. There's a void that needs to be filled. The question is, what's filling the void today? And I'm sad to say, and I believe that it's so true, not only in yours, but probably my life, in many cases. I find it's sometimes, if I got enough money in my pocket, and if I got a vehicle that gets me where I'm going, and if life seems to be going well, then I'm doing okay, and I'm fine. But where's he in all of this? Is it any wonder we lack power? Is it any wonder we lack peace? When the void often is being filled with something or someone other than Him. If He is the beginning and He is the end and He truly is everything in between, then you and I are never truly complete without Him. No one can take His place. Nothing can take His place. As a matter of fact, if there's anything else in his place, then we don't have the relationship we think we have. If he's not everything to you, everything to me, then he is nothing. Now, see, that's, that's not preached and taught today. Because we leave so many open doors. Well, it's all right. You can have this and you can have that. And you can enjoy this and you can enjoy that. You can kind of departmentalize your life, cut it into sections and pieces. Over here, I enjoy the pleasure of the world. Over here, I'm faithful to Christ. And I know this may not truly honor God, but that's there. Now I'm right with God. We departmentalize our lives. But you can't do that according to the Word of God. You're either holy or you are not holy. You're either right with God or you're not right with God. You're either pursuing a relationship with Christ or you aren't. Now, I believe you can be saved. You can have the Lord Jesus Christ living in you, but you're not experiencing the fullness of Christ. And He's not truly the one filling the void. And I think sometimes we create a God of our own image. And as a result of that, we continue to convince ourselves that everything's right between me and God. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. 
and we can sing that song with confidence. But that's because it's a God we created. It's a Savior we concocted in our mind, not the one of the Bible. So how do we keep Christ first and keep the world out? Well, we need to make God's Word a priority, obviously. I mean, read on purpose, study on purpose, memorize on purpose, meditate on purpose. We need to choose to make prayer a priority in our life. I mean, have a specific time, a specific place, a specific list of prayer that you're, you're going to go through. Those are important things, yes. Choose to make service a priority in your life. Get enlisted. Get instructed. Get involved. Get invested. Those are important things. But hold on. Remember I said, and I prefaced this by saying those things in and of themselves can be done without Him. So we need to be consumed with the Word of God, the will of God, the work of God. We cannot leave room for the world then. If we leave room, something will fill the void. And you know what? I'm convinced today that in the world we live, life is so much more complicated. Sin is... We're forever confronted with sin like never before. And I believe it's for this reason. We have too much time on our hands. I think that's one of the problems. Someone says, you don't know how busy I am. Well, in Joshua chapter 24, the Israelites had worked hard. I mean, they had fought many battles. They had worked and toiled and struggled and fought to ultimately occupy the land that God had promised them. Now, they enter the land. They're poised to enjoy the spoils of their victory. God was concerned about them. Again, they'd been busy fighting a battle. And now they were simply free to have a lot more time on their hands. By the way, they didn't have the time we have. Do you realize that they didn't have microwaves and they didn't have cars and wives had to cook everything from scratch and men had to go out and find game and do all the things that were necessary and needful just to survive and live, let alone relax. What would they do with all that time on their hands now, though? I mean, they were battling every single day, 24 hours a day, on edge, waiting for the enemy. Now they're free of the enemy. And isn't that the real question for us today, too? Again, we believe ourselves to be so busy, but I found that I waste a lot of time in my life. Do you realize that in the last two days, you don't know this, but in the last two days, I read a book, 
I don't normally read books in two days. Make it three days. Do you realize that? Do you know that I found time to read a book in three days? And I'm not a reader. But I had a deadline. I got a book club meeting tonight. I read that book. Do you know what I found? If I want to make time, it's there. As busy as I am, there is time if I want to make time. So therefore that means that time was there all along. The real question is this then. What was I filling my time with? If I could read this spiritual book, this book that encouraged me in so many ways to, in my relationship with Christ in just three days, and I would have to take the, the, the minutes and the hours and combine them all together, and I could look at how much time I spent over those three days, I'd have to ask myself, what would I have spent those minutes and hours on if I wasn't reading that book that was building me spiritually? I think we're all in the same boat. Let's just say, for instance, and you've got to understand, everybody's got the same amount of time. We all have 168 hours a week. Let's just say that you spend eight hours a day sleeping, which, unless you're a teenager in here, you probably don't get to do that. That's probably unrealistic. But let's just assume you do. Let's say that you work 50 hours a week. Most don't work 50 either. Let's assume that you spend four hours a day watching television, reading, relaxing, spending time with your family, four hours a day. I'd like to believe that was true. Not according to most studies that are done, by the way. And being in the same house doesn't mean that you're spending time with your family. Just thought I'd throw that in. I'm getting off it because I don't want to offend anybody. <clears throat> then say that you spend two hours a day eating. You'd have to eat a lot of food. <laughs> but you add all that up. Work and sleep and time relaxing and eating, all of those things. Do you know how much time is left? 20 hours. You still have 20 hours. If you spend only seven hours sleeping, which that's probably more realistic for most, and you spend around 40 hours a week working like most, now you have 37 hours a week left. What's filling the void? What do you do with all that time? What occupies your time and your attention? Why don't we have time to read the Word of God? Why don't we have time to study? Why don't we have time to go to church? Why don't we have time to pray? Why don't we have time to serve the Lord? Why is that? We've got 37 hours left in our week. Why are we struggling? I'll tell you why. Because something is filling the void. Something always fills the void. Why were the Israelites bowing down and offering their children upon the altars of other gods only one generation from their occupation? Isn't it amazing to think that? To read that and understand that? One generation later, 
There was a generation that knew not God, knew not, knew not the gods of Joshua. Joshua's off the scene, and those that were with Joshua, next thing you know, there's a generation that's offering their children to idols, literally murdering their children. How's that possible? I think it's because they had too much time on their hands. I don't think they were engaged in the right battles before they were fighting the enemies of God. Now they're taking leisure. If you're not in the battle, I promise you, you have too much time on your hands. If you're not engaged in spiritual warfare, you have too much time on your hands. And you are susceptible to worshiping other gods. They stop focusing their time, their attention on God. They stop focusing their attention on the battle. And they started doing those good-for-nothing activities and leisure. Hey, you say, everybody needs rest. You have to come apart or you'll come apart. You know, that is one of the most overused statements I've ever heard in the Christian faith. And let me tell you why. Read the times that Jesus came apart out of his three and a half years of serving. How many times does it say he came apart in three and a half years? Man, we use that every time we go away for three weeks and leave our Sunday school class empty. You say, that's not very fair. I think it's fair. I'm telling you, we have too much time on our hands. We have too much time to dabble in the wrong things. Leisure has consumed us. Americans love their leisure. We have sports and we have all kind of activity. We have other groups. We have church members who probably have other groups that they attend and are part of and enjoy. How do you have time for that? This is the house of God. He died for the church. Why are we wasting our time filling the void with other things than Him. You say, well, that's what preachers are supposed to say. I want to encourage you to read the Word. I want you to understand that eternity is as real as the seat you're sitting on. This is not a game. And yet we treat it like one so often. Tonight, I just, I guess, two thoughts, and we just bring them together and we close. But one, Jesus is the only one who can truly fill the void in our life. And I believe today that many of us, including myself, have too much time on our hands. And if we are not careful, we are prone to allowing the things of the world to fill the void instead of Him. I just want to encourage you to really think about what fills my time. And there's nothing wrong with playing a round of golf. Nothing wrong with going out and shooting a little pool as long as it's not at Fast Eddie's place. (laughs) And you're drinking a beer in the process. That's not probably the best thing to do. There's nothing wrong with playing a ball game or watching one on television. I'm not saying it's wrong to relax. But wouldn't it be sad to think that we would choose our leisure 
over our Lord. That's all. Let's ask ourselves, what is filling the void in our life? Because if we forsake the Lord, the Bible says we will embrace what? Idols. God help us as believers not to go back to that old man. May God help us to be truly in the image of Christ. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. Bless